episode 314, Why Do SNF, Skilled Nursing Facility Patients, Need Two Pharmacies and a PBM? Following the kind of long, long-term care pharmaceutical supply chain, today I speak with Sheldon Weiss, MD. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. This episode is for anyone as curious as I have been about pharmaceutical supply chain goings on in long-term care facilities, like skilled nursing facilities, otherwise known as SNFs. There are a lot of players in the mix. You have your PBMs, you have your wholesale pharmacies, you have your LTC, meaning long-term care pharmacies, you have the facilities themselves. You also have Medicare Part A and Medicare Part D, and in some cases, Medicare Advantage. Let me just lay some groundwork here before we dive headfirst into the confoundingly messy middle. If we're talking about patients who have been in a sniff for services not covered by Part A, maybe because the patient needs help with basic activities of living, then their drugs are covered by Part D, Med D, or maybe their Medicare Advantage plan. The point I'm making is that it's not a global payment at that point in the SNF. The patient's Part D drug coverage is going to be the same as if that patient were outpatient. They may have deductibles and coinsurance just like an outpatient. Today, I speak with Sheldon Weiss, MD, who I pretty much interrogate about the who, what, and when of the various parties involved in getting a drug into a long-term care facility. Dr. Weiss is a great guy to ask because he is a practicing physician, an operating efficiencies consultant, and a previous COO of a LTC pharmacy. Now, let me editorialize a moment. At its core, the model of having a consultant pharmacist working with a medical director and a director of nursing at a long-term facility is a really interesting one. I just saw another article, this one in Health Affairs the other day, that came out proving yet again that provider teams outperform solo providers in managing chronic diseases. In theory, having a team, including a pharmacist, should definitely level up care. But there are confounders when it comes to the care of older Americans in facilities. One of them is that physicians, and I say this as an unfair broad stroke, sometimes don't listen to the advice of consultant pharmacists because they're just a pharmacist and not an MD. I've heard this go down myself and not just with pharmacists. In fact, in my interview last week with Dr. Douglas Eby from the NUCA System of Care, he said the same thing about doctors and behavioral health specialists. At the beginning, the docs were like, oh, we don't need behavioral health specialists. That's what we do very well. Thank you very much. It didn't take them long to revise that opinion, but it's really common poo-pooing that I hear repeatedly. And so, for possibly this reason and others, we have a situation where one of the main reasons why patients wind up in the ER from SNFs is that they have adverse drug events. Now, this being said, patient care in SNFs is a hard road to hoe because patients in SNFs are often highly complex and under the care of, in some cases, 10 or more specialists all prescribing drugs without any knowledge of what other specialists are prescribing? Will the medical director of a facility want to take on the responsibility of contradicting a cardiologist or a pulmonologist or an oncologist and unprescribe some med? It takes a certain amount of fortitude and willingness to take on that risk. 
Keep in mind one point to ponder. However, most people, in air quotes, aging in place at home right now are not going to have anybody at all looking over their shoulder and even partially coordinating care or reconciling meds. My name is Stacey Richter. This podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Sheldon Weiss, MD, welcome to Relentless Health Value. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here today. So why don't we start out here? When someone is in a SNF, a skilled nursing facility, or I'm assuming assisted living also, there is pharmacists that are, you know, in the building. Can you talk about, and, and they're called wholesale pharmacies or consultant pharmacists, what's their role and how does this all come together? Sure. It is very confusing, but I, I want to clarify the premise of your question. A pharmacist is not on location at a skilled nursing facility. A skilled nursing facility actually hires, although some have their own internal pharmacy companies, but most will hire a pharmacy, which is called a long-term care pharmacy, to deliver medications to each of their residents on a daily basis. The wholesale pharmacy is actually a pharmacy that sells to the long-term care pharmacy. And then again, the long-term care pharmacy then delivers it to the skilled nursing facility residents. They're not a retail pharmacy like you see on every corner now. That's a different kind of pharmacy and there are different rules. So the consultant pharmacist is employed by the wholesale pharmacy? The consultant pharmacist is employed by the long-term care pharmacy. The wholesale pharmacy's role is only to negotiate best prices with the actual pharmaceutical company as well as pharmacy benefit managers or PBMs. I'm going to say... 99.5% of people that listen to this podcast are incredibly familiar with PBMs and know the big ones. You know, we've got Optum, we've got Express Scripts, we have CVS. Are those the same PBMs that are serving the LTC market or are they separate? When I say LTC, I mean long-term care. Uh, yes, they are. Now, some do more than others, but yes, those are the same players that we deal with in the long-term care market. So we've got the wholesale pharmacies, which are different than retail, and we're going to talk about that in a sec. And they're basically, they've got the same relationship with PBMs. What happens is the prices that are negotiated between a wholesale pharmacy and PBM are then passed on to the long-term care pharmacy. And then there's a negotiation between the long-term care pharmacy and the skilled nursing facility to cover the costs of a daily delivery and management of the uh, medical records and delivery to the homes. So if I'm a long-term care pharmacy, then I might have a number of long-term care facilities in the area that I serve. That is correct. This is what I don't understand. Why would a wholesale pharmacy, like, why do you need two players there? Like, why can't a long-term care pharmacy, just like every other, you know, little independent retail pharmacy, negotiate with the PBM, get some, get the drugs and give them to patients? Like, Well, because the role of the long-term care pharmacy is there's multiple roles, but the most important is that we package it, the medications in a certain way that works well for that particular skilled nursing facility. So as an outpatient, when you go to a retail pharmacy, it typically comes in a vial, the, the medications. That's what you're familiar with, correct? Absolutely. But in a nursing home or skilled nursing facility, they have different ways to deliver them. They can be in a 
vial, of course, although that's very rare. It's mostly unit dosing, which is one pill is packaged individually, and you'll have 30 of them, and they may be stuck together by a tear-off, or they can be in a bubble pack, which is like a eight by seven cardboard with a bubble, and inside that bubble is a, a medication, and it pops out the back, and they have numbers on the front that say one through 31, so you know what day of the of the uh, month that you're supposed to pop out, or it could come in compliance packaging, which is a plastic container that mixes all of the medicines you take at 10 a.m. in one package. And then at 12 12 p.m., you'll have another package and et cetera. So there are different ways that they are packaged depending on the way the skilled nursing facility and the residents want the product to be packaged. So let me just interject there. So the wholesale pharmacy, is then, you know, basically having these big chats with the PBM, they get buckets of meds. I'm sure that's the technical term. And they're sitting on the shelf somewhere. And then the long-term pharmacy comes in, takes a tub of meds back to their shop. And it's there that these meds get put together in the way that any individual facility wants them. That is correct. We get packages of 24, 100, 500, 1,000 in different different bottles. Some are packaged in a unit dose, but the home wants it in a bubble pack. So we take it out of one and put it into another. So yeah, so they the wholesale pharmacy is delivering everything in bulk packaging, whatever the way the pharmaceutical company delivers it to them. And then then the long-term care pharmacy repackages it to be delivered to the to the skilled nursing facility. Why wouldn't the long-term care pharmacies just negotiate directly with the PBM? You know, is the wholesale pharmacy, are they bigger? Are these wholesale pharmacies bigger? Like, are there national players there that are able to get some leverage? Yes. And again, the way I'm describing it, it shows the convolution of the whole process. But the key for the most part of getting the best prices for medications is on volume. The wholesale pharmacy buys in bulk can. Okay, so that's the linchpin there, that these wholesale pharmacies are giant. Are those names we would recognize? Yes. You're talking about Cardinal Health, Omnicare. They negotiate with the CVS of the world that are part of Omnicare. They, They all get their best deal for their clients. Well, let me ask you this. Why would that be true? So you've got this long-term care pharmacy that doesn't work for the facility. Why does the long-term care pharmacy have any you know, skin in the game of how much a resident is ultimately going to pay? A majority of the long-term care pharmacy clients or residents of, you know, ultimately are CMS, you know, Medicare, Medicaid patients, and they're to do the best they can to find the most reasonably priced medication with the same safety profile for the same diagnosis treatment. But why? In other words, because it's mandated by law through CMS that that is their obligation. And it's just good, again, it's just a good business model for long-term care pharmacies. The goal of driving healthcare costs down by helping out the residents is a, a good model and one that they, from my understanding, all follow. So it's a mandate then. If you want to be an LTC pharmacy, one of the rules that you sign up for is that you are going to have a 
good view of the market and you are committing to the fact that you're going to find the best priced drugs for the facilities and residents that you serve. Like that's part of the gig. That is correct. If you think about it, the physician or provider doesn't know how much drug A and drug B cost. They know that they want this drug class to treat this diagnosis. And so they write the order. Now, that is where I'd like to start with the distinction of a long-term care pharmacy versus a retail pharmacy. So in a retail pharmacy setting, if your doctor writes the brand and they don't want it substituted, which they call dispenses written or DAW, the retail pharmacy will send it out with uh, when they won't ask any questions. They just, even though there's an alternative that's cheaper, they don't. In fact, until recently, they couldn't even talk about their alternatives. But for many, many years in long-term care, part of the role of the consultant pharmacist was to devise formularies for the medical directors that are writing the prescriptions to help them understand that the brand is very expensive, the generic is equally effective, and ask for permission. They can't do it without their permission, but they ask for permission and are very involved in converting expensive medications to cheaper medications. The role of the consultant pharmacist is to review the residents' medical records to make sure that all medications have a diagnosis, which is, again, a CMS requirement. You just can't have a prescription without knowing why you're writing the prescription. And then they look at, are there commonalities or similar drugs that maybe are doing the same thing that maybe you could remove one drug or another or drug-drug intervention. So consultant pharmacists and long-term care facilities actually develop formularies that will convert expensive medication brands to generic medications and sometimes specific generic medications that are cheaper than other generic medications so that ultimately the resident gets the same quality of medication, but yet it's at a much more reasonable price. So it sounds like the consultant pharmacist, which is employed by these LTC pharmacies, is there, you know, four consultant pharmacists at every LTC pharmacy or something like that, and they each are assigned facility. And then the consultant pharmacist is working with the medical director at that facility. Yes. The, you know, if you look at what healthcare is always trying to get to as far as whether you want to say the triple aim or a multidisciplinary approach, we know that these care models that use a collaboration between all caregivers and providers with the goal of looking centrally at the patient of what is best for them and them individually do better. Yeah, so let me interject because, you know, there's all of this bad rap, frankly, that some of these facilities have, and maybe these are outliers and they just get all the attention about how residents are completely over-medicated, you know, with the psychotropic drugs, et cetera. How does that happen in this model? The, what happens is for residents that are staying for longer time periods, they usually have multiple systemic ailments that need medication. They just become additive and what is in the background that the general population doesn't understand is that there is constant work at trying to reduce the medications for these patients. Skilled nursing facilities want patients to be on the least amount of medicines because the, the lower the amount of medicines, the, the 
less the chances of someone to become over-medicated and have other side effects that would, would not have developed if they wouldn't be on these medicines. It definitely sounds like to me, like there are, you know, just like across any profession, there are those who really do put the patient first and then those who maybe manage who don't. Let's just put it that way. I mean, I don't, you know, I'm not asking you necessarily to speak for every single facility across the country, but there's just so many examples of, of over-medicated patients and sniffs. So I'm kind of asking you, like, is that something that as a profession, you guys are working toward helping reduce? Because I don't know that it's disputable. Well, if you look at medications of uh, patients that are 75 years old and you look at them as an outpatient versus an, someone in a skilled nursing facility, for the most part, I would agree that in a skilled nursing facility, they're going to have more medications. But the reason for that is more likely because they're less mobile and have more ailments than someone who's 75 and independent outside the home. But I wanted to make sure there was some clarity that to help with reducing the amount of medications a patient or resident takes in a skilled nurse facility, the consultant pharmacists are obligated, again, by CMS regulations, to review all of their medications once a month, every 30 days. As an outpatient, Nobody is reviewing the resident or patient's uh, medications except for the hopefully once a year visit for their annual exam. So the care model inside of a skilled nursing facility is good a job as we can in healthcare to look at each individual resident, their individual diagnoses matched with their medications to help them reduce their medications as much as possible. But they are on a lot of medications, somewhere between 15 and 20 or more medications is not uncommon. And that's not including as needed medications or over-the-counter medications. And does that also include, you know, sometimes it's reducing medications, but sometimes in order to have an effective care plan, maybe something needs to get added. You know, maybe something is indicated based on their condition that the medical director didn't write. Is it always subtractive or is sometimes it additive? I would think that most of the time it's subtractive. There are times that maybe they'll take two medications that a patient is on and the, the uh, or three consultant pharmacists will look at and say, you could reduce those three or two and make it one by switching to this medication. Safety profile may be even better or it appears by the patient's diagnosis or the response of the previous months with these medications, this may be an option. And that there is a conversation between the consultant pharmacist and the uh, medical director who is in charge of all medications for that skilled nursing facility and that resident. It's weird because like obviously the LTC pharmacy, the long-term care pharmacy, is financially motivated. I'm assuming that they're being paid by the script. So the more scripts they reduce, that would appear to be a, against their financial interest. Or is it more of a per resident per month kind of arrangement and they're not being paid by the facilities on a per script basis? No, they are paid by a per script basis. The idea in healthcare should be and is, as far as I believe as a physician, that we only prescribe medications that are necessary and we try to be cost conscious about understanding what medication is the best yet the least expensive for the patient. And I wanted to say one thing about 
long-term care pharmacy versus retail or even the hospital, there's some similarities. So in an outpatient setting, you want to take a once-a-day drug. You want to take, for example, a Z-Pack for just a few days as opposed to 14 days of the medicine. If at the end of the day, you're gonna, your infection is going to go away. But in a long-term care pharmacy, you may take a medicine twice a day, even though there's a once-a-day medication that you're able to take because it's actually cheaper for everyone if you take it twice a day. And since nurses are there 24-7, the effort is already there so they can give it to them and they won't miss a dose. And so we, that's how some, sometimes we'll save a cost to patients where we'll go to a twice-a-day three-time-a-day drug that if you're an outpatient, you may go once a day because it's just so much more convenient. Certainly, you know, that's a way to do a line extension that many pharma companies use, which is we're going to go to once a day and charge the branded rate as opposed to the generic, which is twice a day. Right, unfortunately. So if we're talking about, you know, all of these patients moving home, you know, like we've got the sniff at home, we've got the, you know, pick a noun and put at home after it. And that seems to be the goal of the whole, you know, aging in place or I interviewed Sumit Nagpal a few weeks ago and he was just like, what is this aging in place? Like we're aging every day. Maybe you want to call it living in place. There's this whole living at your original place of residence movement. And there's a number of different, you know, technology and other companies which are working hard to facilitate that. How does this impact pharmacy? So again, there are, unfortunately, there are different decision makers at different times of where you're aging so or in place. So as you mentioned, in a hospital, they may, because of their wholesale pharmacy and their PBM and their buying group negotiation, may get drug X at a better price than drug Y in the same drug class. But outside a retail pharmacy, it may be just the opposite. Or it may be that an insurance carrier wants Y and not X. But, but since you're in the hospital, the hospital system switches you from Y to X because it's cheaper for them. But then when you get discharged and you go back to a skilled nursing facility or you go to your AL or you go to your home, your insurance company will, your, maybe your, your coverage would be $15 if you have this insulin. But if you switch to another one, it may be full price and you may have to pay $300 that month. So there's that role of long-term care pharmacy versus in a hospital, they're paying the bill, so they move it around whatever is best for them. So when you're aging at home, there's no one there looking out for you like a consultant pharmacist, except that now, again, recent laws have changed to where it gives the option for retail pharmacists to give you advice on a cheaper option, which is great because you had no advocate prior to that. And when you go, as I said, when you go to your primary care physician that once a year for your annual exam to review everything, they don't know the prices of medications. They don't know what insurance company you have and what is the preferential drug X or Y. They just know the drug class of what you're taking and it seems appropriate. So what you're explaining is that you know, because hospitals have their own contracts going on, they may switch a patient while that patient is inpatient to whatever it is. Then that patient gets discharged. They go back kind of onto their own insurance. Like they got nothing to do with the hospital and whatever deal the hospital had any longer. And on their own personal plan, 
you know, their Med D or their Medicaid or whatever they're on or their Medicare Advantage plan, what will happen is, you know, maybe the patient will remain on that hospital brand, which is super expensive under their own plan. And now all of a sudden they've got to co-pay through the roof. And if you don't have a consultant pharmacist who's kind of like, whoa, whoa, what just happened there? Then this patient might wind up overpaying and not realizing that they could have gone back on the one that they were on before or nobody's discussing with them that there might be a cheaper alternative. That is exactly the issue. And it's very sad because if you went from, I don't like to use brands, but Novolog and Umalog and you one was a $15 copay, and then you went into the hospital and they switched you to Umalog. And so you got discharged with Umalog. You go take your prescription to the retail pharmacy and it's Umalog. And all of a sudden it's $200. And if they would have just been able to say, well, you can go back on the, the Novolog and it'd be 15, but you don't know that. So then you go home and you either don't take the medicine, you don't fill the prescription, and then you subsequently have a bad outcome because you couldn't afford the medication. What you're articulating there is sort of the role of or the hoped for role of like a patient-centered medical home or one of these advanced primary care clinics, which I'm understanding more and more why you sort of need a pharmacist in those groups. What do you think the way is then to make this sort of trend of aging in place or long-term care at home safer from a pharmacy perspective? Like what needs to be taken into consideration here? In an advanced primary care model or Medicare Advantage we are seeing trends that that is part of that multidisciplinary approach. So they are going to have consultant pharmacists on their team to review patients periodically because that is the only way to make sure that your health is not affected by the medications that you are taking. So let me repeat that, that your health is not affected by the medications you're taking as opposed to the benefit of your health for the medications you're taking, which is what we all take medications for. So we want to make sure that, and because this is where the monetary role comes in, right? You're getting paid a set amount of money in Medicare Advantage to take care of patients. There is an incentive to decrease the amount of medications financially that you can on a patient, because we know that's a significant cost per month to manage a patient, but prevent them from going to the hospital, which is a much larger cost. So using a consultant pharmacist on that team is a fantastic model because physicians are very intelligent, and but they tend to know their medications in their field and don't have all the experience of mixing medications from different specialties and what their outcomes are. So a a consultant pharmacist has that advantage of the experience of seeing those. And you see this as a trend? I do. I see this as a great trend. Again, anything that increases the multidisciplinary approach model is going to benefit the patient, which is, again, where the triple aim comes in, where you want to improve the patient experience, you want to reduce the cost per capita, and then you want to also just improve your health of your population overall. And do you see these advanced primary care groups rising up and hiring consultant pharmacists? Like, is that something that you actually see happening? I mean, I know it it, it probably would be a good thing, but there's a lot of probably would be a good things that aren't actually transpiring. (laughs) I think you are. I do know a few consultant pharmacists, and I believe that that is a trend that is starting now and probably will rapidly increase in the next few years. Is there anything I neglected to ask you, Dr. Weiss? I think that the information that you're asking is, I hope it 
did become too convoluted because the cost of medicine and the outcome of medicine really don't equate. If the patient would pay less for the most high value medications that would keep them out of the hospital best for their care, we would see a much better trend of health in our society, in the United States especially. But I think that we have touched upon some hot topics. And I hope that I shed light on the importance of long-term care pharmacies and the benefits that they serve with their collaborative approach with skilled nursing facilities. Is there anywhere that you would direct people to learn more about work that you're doing? Well, they could connect with me on LinkedIn. Dr. Sheldon Weiss, thank you so much for being on Relentless Health Value today. It was a pleasure, Stacey. Thank you. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.